Welcome to the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast, the show with two guys with a lot to say about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the NHL. Here are your hosts, Ben Shelley and Michael Maze. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to what is now the ninth episode of the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast. Uh, my name is Ben, I'm here with Michael. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, and today uh, we're doing a bit of a different episode. We're going to be looking through each uh, NHL playoff series to look at uh, who we think has the upper hand um, and where we expect each series to go. We're going to start off with um, staying true to the show, uh, the Leafs and Bruins, to start it off. Um, Michael, you ha- you saw something about the lines that, that you found interesting on Twitter? Yes, I did. Uh, yesterday, uh, the Leafs and the Bruins each had their practices uh, heading into the playoffs. Um, the lines combinations I, I, I was pretty fascinated by. Let's, let's, I guess we could obviously start with the Leafs series since we are Leafs folks makes podcast. Um there hasn't been much change with the Tavares line. The uh, the fourth line, obviously, as well. Uh, maybe Patan and Ennis are not there during there. Uh, the one thing that I really did notice was the Matthews and the Kadri line have some significant changes. On the Matthews line, you've got Janssen, Matthews, and Kapanen. And on the Kadri line, you've got Marlowe, Kadri, and Nylander. Uh, when asked about it uh, before Saturday's game, I believe Babcock said something on the lines of, we don't look at point totals, we look at expected goals for and expected goals against... Uh, so do you think that this was the right time to make a change? Uh, the only thing that I'd see different that should have been done is swapping out Nylander for Kapanen. Hmm. Um, the only, yeah, the only, the only change that I'd have is having Nylander with Matthews and Kadri with Kapanen because no matter how you slot it in, Marlowe should be on the third line. Um, should be on the fourth line, in my opinion. But that being said... I don't think anybody's confused as to whether Babcock is putting him on the fourth line or not because I, I think Babcock is going to keep him as a top nine. No, oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, as for lines, I think it's pretty expected. I, I still question as to why Captain is playing with Matthews going into the playoffs, but, yeah. Do you think that it maybe has something to do with the fact that Kapanen recently got uh, 20 goals and maybe he's going to start to heat up during the playoffs? I don't know, though, because the playoffs are a whole different thing. And, you know, Kapanen, remember last se- last year in the playoffs, Kapanen at times was one of the best players in the series for the Leafs, and then other games he didn't show up. So I don't. I guess the same thing we said about Nylander, though, because I thought Nylander was mostly invisible throughout that series last year, too. Mm-hmm. And Kadri also was, uh, I mean, invisible in the sense that he was gone for, like, three games due to the suspension that he got, but... This season, especially for Kadri, has been a very difficult one because of uh, the lack of offensive success that he's had compared to the last two seasons. I wonder if this is maybe Babcock saying, listen, Kadri, we, we think you're very important to this team, uh, and you need to get going offensively, and we're going to do everything we can to help you. Do you think that that's probably why? But then he also plays him with Marlowe. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I think Marlowe and Kadri are definitely one of those players of the league that need to step up, and... Uh, I think Marlowe, especially uh, against Tampa Bay on Thursday, was a game that he really looked like a player that uh, came to play. And that's the kind of player the least need in the playoffs. Yes, he's uh, overpaid for, for what he's been providing. And this season has been a, another step downwards towards his inevitable retirement because obviously he's getting all up there in age. But if he can still provide a pl- value in the playoffs, I think the least will be more than happy with that contract. So I wonder... If uh, there's probably something to do with getting Kadri and Marlowe going by having Nylander on there instead of Kapanen. Maybe. That's an interesting thought. And Marlowe, 
Marlowe was one of the better players in the series last year, actually, against Boston. He had, I think, five points in seven games, and mostly forwards didn't come close to that, even Matthews. So, mm-hmm. I yeah, that, that makes sense to me as well. And the Nylander at points had been playing, was playing on the fourth line in the playoffs last year, right? He was playing with Janssen, um, centered by Plakanish at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean... It, it's not shocking. I still, I'd be swapping out Nylander and Kapanen there, and having Kapanen playing with Kadri and Marlow. But I don't know. I I imagine the lines will be shaken up quite a few times throughout the series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's the same thing that would go for the other side, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, I I personally don't buy the uh, the idea of swapping Nylander with uh, Kapanen because I think Kapanen is a is a good fit for that line. But at the same time, I understand what Babcock is maybe thinking here. Like, potentially, okay, Kadri, we need you to get going. Here's somebody who could help you out. And they have had success at times when they were paired up together during the season. I know a lot of fans, uh, especially on Twitter, are going to say, who cares? The the Matthews-Nylander pairing is the one that works the best. Don't ever split that up again. But I wonder if maybe... When Nylander, if Nylander never had to go for the contract negotiation, we'd be even having this discussion. Yeah, I, that's an interesting thing too. I, because I, I imagine that Nylander would have started the season with Matthews and never would have been taken off. Yeah, but. I, I agree with that. Okay, so for the just to finish off the Leafs' the lines, uh, obviously Anderson's a starter, Hudson's the backup because Sparks is uh, taking time off. Uh, I believe we that was before this the last podcast, correct? I think we had talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If not, yeah. I maybe we didn't, but it it was interesting to me because now it was more interesting to me because now the Marlies have no starting goalie. Yeah. And I was surprised that Dubis, who obviously values AHL player development in a huge way, is willing to do that with the Marlies. So I think yeah, it showed I think yeah, it, it showed how much the the Leafs and even the management team doesn't really trust Sparks. Um, at the same time, they're invested in him, which is cool to see. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. if uh, if the plan wasn't to have Sparks around, you know, at least past this year, I'm sure they wouldn't be doing this. They just bring up Hutchinson and. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think they definitely do see a lot in Sparks, and I think they really want to help make him sure he's part of the team for a long time. But yeah, for sure, to your point. Uh, they don't have a trust in Sparks. And it's, it's saying a lot from the Toronto Marlies, who the the main primary reason the Leafs even got Hutchinson is because the Marlies, for the better part of this season, uh, just could not buy a save. And uh, they have two goalies down there further in their system that I don't think would be even comfortable coming up to the, to the NHL. So to get rid of Hutchinson and replace him replace Sparks, that, that speaks volumes from the organization standpoint. Yeah. Um, did you want to touch on defense too? Yes, because that's something that was very interesting, and uh, I'm already starting to get a little uh, agitated because I see the top pairing is still Riley and Hainsey, uh, and the other pairings, of course, are Muzz and Zaitsev and Gardner Dermott. Yeah. Uh, what do you th- What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I just I don't know why the top four isn't playing as a top four. Like it, if you like, I think it's pretty clear as to who the top four defensemen are. Yeah, it sucks they're all left-handed, but. Now we've already started playing Gardner and Dermott together. Like, Riley and Muzzin, I thought was the closest we've had to a legitimate top top pairing defense in forever. Yeah. So I'd have Riley and Muzzin playing together. I'd have Gardner and Dermott playing together. Yeah. I'd have those four eating, like, the 
huge majority of the minutes. And then play Hainsey with way less exposure on the third pairing with Zaitsev. And that's a pairing that won't be as destructive as they probably as we're probably going to see. I like I remember watching Zaitsev in the first two games of that series and I was like, "Oh my god." Like <laughs> it was horrible seeing people people picked apart Hainsey, but like, go back and watch how Zaitsev oh my like especially when Zaitsev was on the PK, it was just horrible to watch. Yeah, and uh, the Boston Bruins power play is ex- exceptionally talented, especially because their top line is uh, pretty much the the bread and butter of it with Pasternak uh, with the shots, uh, Bergeron really good at moving the puck, and the same thing with Marshawn down low. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster, especially for for Nikita Zaitsev, who had a really rough season last year, and even this year, it's been difficult for him. And uh, yeah, to your point, it is very frustrating that. Uh, this is the first time all like in such a long time the Leafs have had their optimal defense uh, healthy and ready to go for the playoffs, and we're still seeing Riley Hainsey together. I think, yeah, to your point, I totally agree. Uh, Riley and Muzzin was was the best top pairing defense that the Leafs have had in quite a long time. Like it's pretty comical how long it's been since the Leafs have had a top pairing that was uh, not only uh, talented but. Uh, like they could do their job in both ends and not have to give clutch my fist uh, watching each and every night. Yeah, and it's it's the thing that's this is not don't no discredit to Hainsey. It's just that he's at, at that age where speed is going to be important in this series. And I know the Boston Bruins aren't like the fastest team, but when you have guys like Pasternak coming up against you each and every single night, you need to have at least some speed to catch. At least try and slow him down. And because of his age and the problems with last few seasons playoff where. Leafs have had trouble breaking out on the right side. Uh, that's going. That's going to give me nervous uh, fits uh, during this series, and uh, I'm I'm already starting to feel a little nervous for seeing this. Yeah, I I definitely don't love the, I don't love the pairings. I don't know why that's the decision, but I mean, is it playoff? This practice, uh, it could change before Thursday's game, but uh, I'm I'm not I'm not feeling too confident heading into Game One. That's for sure. Yeah, at no point have we seen. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at no point have we seen. Uh, Gardner and Dermott and Riley and Muzzin playing together at the same time, right? Because um, I, I think at the time that Muzzin came and was with Riley, they were still playing Gardner with Zaitsev and then had dropped down Hainsey to play with uh, yes. Dermott. Yes, and I thought that, that, was a, that was a good third pairing because that would give uh, Dermott a, a good mentor and somebody who he can rely on to make the plays and then some, like, because Hainsey would probably step back because he recognizes that Dermott is a much more agile uh player at both ends of the ice so i think that would have been the more ideal third pairing and i think these fans would have been more appreciative of the efforts of han hainsey if he was playing a less role but the fact that he's still playing in that top role and even though we've got a fully healthy defense like i keep stressing this enough uh, this is very frustrating to see yeah um do you have any other lease Bruins stuff that you want to touch on before we just talk about the general series and where we see it going yeah we could definitely look at the other side of the coin because uh, we always obviously there's the uh, boston bruins lines uh they also had their practice yesterday um one of the things that was pretty interesting that i've noticed during the the latter half of the regular season was the marshawn bergeron and pasternak line was actually never really together for an extended period of time correct me if i'm wrong bruins fans but uh, i have seen instances where they're not they're on separate lines and uh, during the practice yesterday, um, they were reunited again. Um, the other lines, I'll just go over them quickly. DeBrusque, Krejci, Kuhlman, Janssen, Coyle, and Heinen. Nordstrom, Achari, and Wagner. And David Backus is a scratch. 
For the defense, you've got Char- Chara, McAvoy, Krug, Carlo, Greslick, uh, Kampfer, and Clifton. And I believe there is one defenseman on the Bruins that is not going to be able to start the series. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And, of course, you've got... Is it Brandon Carlo? Or uh, Carlo, Carlo, Carlo's Carlo in starting. the lineup. Uh, there's a defenseman on the Bruins that I, I just can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Um, and, obviously, Rask is starting for the Bruins in net with Halak being the backup goalie. Hmm. Um what are your thoughts on what you've heard from the Bruins lines at practice? Um, I still think that um, with the Leafs-Bruins series, the Leafs have to capitalize on the Bruins' depth because I don't think the Bruins are a very deep team. Um, and when you look at their forwards, bringing in Coyle and Johansson, um, it hasn't been excellent so far. Coyle has six points in 21 games. Johansson has three and ten. Um, you know they they were brought in to shore up the Bruins' depth, and you know they haven't been very good. Um, and I think if the Leafs can basically cancel out their top six, then they have a chance here. Um, the big with Marchant, Pasternak, and Bergeron. That's who we're going to see in the power play. That's who we're going to see creating the bulk of the offensive chances. If the Leafs can find a way to even slow them down, then I think there's an excellent chance. Because even, you know, DeBrusque has been excellent um, throughout the back half of the season. Krejci has been very, very good this season in a bounce back year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, Heinen, Heinen has been good as well, um, but he's taken his, you know, he hasn't been producing as much as last season. Um, overall, the Bruins don't have a ton of forward depth. And this is the thing that I keep seeing in their lineup. And they're a very front-loaded team. Obviously, it didn't make a difference last year. But I did think that they had a bit more depth last year based on the way that Heinen was playing um, and Rick Nash. Um, in my opinion, this is a weaker Bruins forward lineup than we saw last year. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, so I don't know. I Other than the first line... That, and maybe David Krejci as well, and maybe DeBrusque based on how he's playing, but those five are the only ones who I'd be concerned about. And the rest of those other seven forwards to me are not something to be very nervous about. Mm -hmm. I I definitely agree with that. Uh, I think uh, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, that third line is one that Kadri could eat alive. Because, like I, like we mentioned earlier, he's been struggling offensively most of the season. And the same thing with Patrick Marlowe. But then you add Nylander to that line. Uh, you look at the, the Bruins' third line. No offense. That's one that the Leafs should have an edge in beating. For and, sure. And if they can beat that line, that definitely gives... That really does help uh, prove their case. And I think the fourth line, that's a 50-50 split. I don't really know confidently that fourth line. Uh, it could be a 50-50 split for sure. But uh, I think, yeah, the Krejci and DeBrusque are definitely worthy opponents, and I think they should definitely get their attention. Uh, Carson Kuhlman, who's that third guy on the line, he's got some points. Uh, not a lot of points, but uh, definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, in the AHL this season, he's got 12 goals, 18 assists, 30 points in 58 games for the Providence Bruins. So he could be a secondary scorer you might want to keep an eye out for. Um, yeah. I think definitely you look at that uh, forward group, the first line is definitely the one that scares me the most because that's the line that ate the Leafs alive last year. 
and uh, especially in the first two games. If you can slow them down even just a little bit, that definitely gives you an edge. And if you can get try and break through the Bruins' defense, which I think is their biggest strength, which we'll get to in a second, um, that definitely really improves your chances. So trying to slow down the top six, uh, trying to eat alive the bottom six, that's going to definitely help. The, that's going to definitely help the Leafs. Yeah. Um, so forward wise, I think we're agreeing here. Uh, something interesting. So goaltending wise, Tugarask has been very good throughout the bulk of the season, but he actually he finished the season at a nine twelve save percentage. Hmm. which isn't something, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, and looking at his last 10 games, he was an 895 save percentage or below in seven of the last 10 games of the season. So I think that's, you know, the whole thing of, like, having Tuka Rask as the backup pretty much negates that problem because, did I say Tuka Rask or Slif Halak? Having Halak, Halak as the backup, um, you know, cancels out that problem because Halak has been so good with the Bruins and has basically split time with with Rask. He has a 9-22, um, a 22-11 record. So I wonder if at some point, if Tuka Rask is struggling, if Halak starts getting minutes. Yep, I definitely agree with that because uh, I think when you look at the Leafs' uh, goaltending uh, and compared to the Bruins, the Bruins have the edge just because of Yuroslav Halak. And this is no discredit to uh, Michael Hutchinson, but... I, we haven't seen enough of him in the Leafs uh, since uh, January to really give me a confident uh, judgment on how he's been playing. And I know that, that he's he's definitely been the reason why the Marlies are in the playoffs. But remember, this is the AHL. The AHL does not mean and guarantee success in the NHL. We've seen that with Garrett Sparks this year. It's been a tough year for Garrett Sparks, but we know last year he can have success in, in professional hockey. So, yes, if Tugaras does struggle out of the gate... Uh, I definitely could see Yaroslav Halak uh, stepping in, and uh, Bruins fans are definitely going to feel confident with Yaroslav Halak in that because, what was it, like three or f- in three of the four games this year, Yaroslav Halak was excellent against the Maple Leafs? I know some of them were like different circumstances, but uh, I definitely think that the Bruins would feel comfortable uh, going to Halak if uh, Ras continues to struggle. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then in terms of their defense as well, I think... Chara's declining play actually has a major impact on how this defense core is viewed. Um, I think last year it was a little scarier, um, and Chara's not the same player he even was last season. Um, so, in seeing their defense now, I you know Krug is an excellent offensive defenseman, but he's nobody um, who leaves forwards can't beat. That's you know he's not. His specialty is not defense um, as a defenseman, but their defense doesn't look overly strong to me, um, and I wouldn't even say it's all that far ahead of the Leafs' defense, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, Brandon Carlo is an X-factor. He's an excellent defensive defenseman, um, but you know, I think the majority of their defense isn't all that scary. Yeah, the defense definitely on paper doesn't seem scary, but if we're going to look deep into the numbers, uh, it definitely does give some cause for concern. I'm going to try and pull up an article that one of my uh, co- co-workers at Maple Leafs Hot Stove, Kevin Papiati, wrote about previewing this series, and I think it's an excellent read. Uh, I will link it to it at the, after this episode. You can check it out. Um, it basically said that the reason why the Bruins are so dangerous is because their goals against 
per 60 is 1.91 at 5 on 5, which is first in the NHL. Their goal differential is 54.591%, that's fourth. Their expected goals for against is 2.1, that's, th that's third in the NHL. And their expected goals for differential is 51.91, that's tenth. Yes, on paper, that doesn't look like a, a much of an imposing threat, but the Bruins have been known to be an excellent defensive team. And uh, yes, I definitely think the Bruins' forwards are not their strength, but their real strength is their defense. And uh, last season, that's what happened in the first few games. Uh, the, the Bruins' defense did an excellent job of slowing down the Leafs' like, high-flying offense. And uh, this could be very well the same problem that's hap that happens again in the playoffs. I'm not saying that it is going to happen, but you have to keep in mind that uh, you need to get to the, the Bruins' uh, defense. And that's a huge, huge area the Leafs have to focus on. It's not so much the forward matchups. Yes, that's definitely one that you can take advantage of. But if you can't break through the Bruins' defense, then how are you going to win the series? Interesting. Because I, I, in my opinion, it wasn't... The, it wasn't Boston's defense that beat the Leafs. It was Boston's offense that beat the Leafs. Because looking back on the series, um, the Leafs didn't have trouble scoring for the majority of that series. And if they did have trouble scoring, um, if they, you know, if they couldn't score in a specific game, they were also probably they probably had five goals against in that game as well. So that that wasn't the problem for me. Um, for me, the problem was uh, the Leafs could score. But the Bruins could score more. And I thought, you know, honestly, both teams defensively in that series were brutal. Yeah. I thought they were both very bad. Um, I'd say so, the goalies too. Yeah. Um, so that's, for me, it was about how the Leafs can contain the Bruins' offense versus how they can score. Because I, I think with the Leafs' offense here, even if the Bruins' defense with those underlying numbers has been good, um, the Leafs playing the way they can offensively are seriously like a top top three or top five offensive team in the league. So the Bruins can be as good as they want defensively, but I'm not concerned about the Leafs being able to score goals. I'm more worried about them being able to keep them out of the net. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I think this is a good transition to how you think the Leafs can beat, potentially beat the Bruins because uh, I think this is a question that a lot of people have, and I think a lot of reporters... Uh, are skeptical of the Leafs' chances of uh, defeating the Boston Bruins. I believe I saw somewhere that the Bruins have the third best chances of capturing the Stanley Cup this year. I believe Tampa Bay is one of the teams for sure above them. But uh, nonetheless, uh, what do you think will be the key to solving the Boston Bruins if the Leafs want to have any chance at uh, going to the second round and likely facing the Lightning? Yeah, like I, like I said, I think there's two things. It's um, I think it's capitalizing on... Um, the offensive mismatch uh, in the bottom six. I think specifically if the Kadri line can come alive, um, that's going to be a huge factor um, because I think the least bottom six could pick apart the Bruins' bottom six. Um, but then the other, the other part of that, in turn, the second part, is that the Leafs' top six have to contain the Bruins' top six. Yeah. And they don't necessarily even have to outplay them. They just need to be able to manage them. And that those are the two things for me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think uh, if there's one thing that the Leafs need to desperately do is really focus in on the Bergeron line. Yes, definitely don't uh, discredit the Krejci line because they could eat you alive too if you're not careful. But that Bergeron line is what, ki is what killed the Leafs last year. And they killed them in the regular season matchups in all, th in all four games. Uh, 
Pasternak just loves to score against Leafs. And uh, I I believe he said something like that uh, back in November. Um, And definitely it is frustrating as a fan to just watch this continue to happen. So definitely the key thing is keeping them contained. Um, But I think the bigger thing that the Leafs need to do and something that Kevin Papiati mentioned in his article is uh, trying to stay out of the penalty box. Mm. Um, If you're the Leafs, you want to stay out of the... You want to make sure the Bruins' top power play and does not get any ice time because they are one of the top uh, power plays in the league. I believe it says right here, their power play is 26.3%, which is third. I don't remember off the top of my head who's the other two, but I'm sure Tampa Bay is one of them. (laughs) I always say Tampa Bay is one of them. Uh, Nonetheless... Um, yes, the Bruins' power play is exceptional. You definitely want to stay out of the box. But I think the one thing that the Leafs can take advantage of is the Bruins' lackluster penalty kill. It's not, it's not terrible, but 80.1% is 17th in the NHL. That's middle of the pack. That's something that the Leafs can take advantage of. And if they're, as long as they can get their chance on the power play, um, and obviously, yes, they've been struggling a little bit of late, but... That's a prime opportunity to get yourself uh, confidence going on the men advantage. Yep. Special teams will be a big factor in the series, as was last year, I think. Um, with that, I think we've been 25 minutes on the Leafs-Bruin series. Um, I think we'll quickly move on and talk about each series and just give a quick overview yes. as to how we see each series playing out. Um, we'll start with Tampa and Columbus. Um, do you think Tampa has an easy path here against Columbus, or do you think it could be a little more tricky than it seems? Um, well, I think everyone's counting on the Tampa Bay to finish the series very quickly, but Columbus has been playing some inspired hockey of late, and I think there's a lot of players on that team that have something to prove, and because of all the moves that were made uh, during the uh, during the, the trade deadline, they, they're definitely all in this year, and of course they have themselves a difficult matchup waiting, awaiting them in the first round, but... I think the key for this series to play out longer is if Bobrovsky can finally uh, start to play exceptional hockey in the playoffs because that's been one of his downfalls. If I remember correctly, his save percentage takes a nosedive uh, in the playoffs compared to the regular season. It's an 891 in the playoffs compared to, I think, a 919 career in the regular season. Yeah, there, there's, there, there's, there's reason number one right there. I think Bobrovsky is going to be the key for this series if Columbus wants to stand a chance against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, I also think that if they can neutralize the lightning power play, lightning power play, which is not easy to do, don't get me wrong, that definitely does help them as well. Um, and I don't know how effective Hedman will be when he comes back because I know he's been uh, out with an injury for the last little while. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head if he's going to be available for game one uh, tomorrow. But uh, yeah, that's definitely an advantage that you that the Blue Jackets t- could uh, definitely capitalize on is trying to take advantage of uh, Victor Hedman not being 100% healthy. But uh, yes, I think overall, Tampa Bay is the heavy on favorites for obvious reasons. Um, it could either go as quickly as five games, but I'm thinking it's going to be a six-game series. Interesting. So I, you know, looking at Tampa Bay, their top three forwards are terrifying with Kucherov, Stamkos, and Braden Point. Um, but everyone talks about Tampa Bay's depth as well. Um and their depth players actually haven't been as good as you might have expected uh, to close out the regular season. And looking at Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, even JT Miller, they were all hovering right around um, averaging 
just below 50 points per 82, um, Miller being an exception. But um, they're, you know, their top three are going to need to be the top three. And so long as I think Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point play their game, then I don't think they're going to have any problems. But if they start to rely on that depth a little bit, I think it could be a closer series because I don't think Tampa Bay's depth has been as good as um, we maybe made them out to be or what we thought they would be. And Columbus is in the same situation where they have depth. Uh, you could argue though that they're a little front load based on the players they have with Panarin, Atkinson, uh, and Dubois really as their top three forwards. And then Duchesne and Dezingle have... Dezingle's been, you can argue, consistent to his career um, since coming to Columbus, but... Uh, sorry, Dezingle, not Duchesne. Duchesne, um, though, Duchesne has been hovering around, you know, uh, what would be on pace for, uh, like, 40 points per 82. He has 12 points in 23 games since coming to Columbus. So Duchesne has not been excellent. Um, but... I think Columbus is a little scarier than people make them out to be, and I agree that I think Bobrovsky is an X factor here. Um, I could see the series, you know, going to five or six games, but I think I could see them all being close games because even looking back into last year, um, Tampa and New Jersey, none of those games were blowouts. Um, you know, the largest margin of any game uh, in goal differential is three goals between Tampa and New Jersey. New Jersey was not a great team making the playoffs there. Yeah. Um, so I can see this this series being one where all the games are pretty close, similar to what we saw with Toronto and Washington, actually. I'm I'm actually, if I was going to pick a series to be excited about, um, that isn't one of the the three series that shouldn't be happening, like Vegas, San Jose, um, Toronto, and Boston, and Winnipeg, St. Louis. If you take out those three, three series that shouldn't actually be happening right now, um, Tampa Bay and Columbus is the one that I'm excited about. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it too. Um, the one player that I'm really excited to watch will be Matt Duchesne because I believe it's the first time in six seasons that he's back in the playoffs. And I, I can imagine that he really wants to make the most of it because it has been a while for him. He has yet to score a goal in the playoffs. He only played two games in 2013-14 with the Avalanche, which I believe went to a seven games. So I think if there's one player on either team that's extremely motivated... I think it's Matt Duchesne. That's somebody that should be kept an eye on because he could definitely be an X-Factor as well. I, I obviously think that the Lightning do pose a serious threat because their their first line is probably the scariest first line in, in hockey right now. Um, but yes, they maybe could maybe do rely a little bit too much on their first line. But nonetheless, uh, definitely, if uh, a guy like Matt Duchesne can really step up uh, in this playoffs, that could definitely uh, really change things a little bit. But you have um, you have Tampa Bay coming out on top. Uh, that's probably the most likely scenario. Tampa Bay and six is my my pick. Yeah, I see that too. Um, moving on to Car- Carolina, Washington. Um, Carolina has been so fun to watch. Um, I'd love to see them win a playoff series. Um, but what do you think their chances are against Washington? Um, this is going to be an interesting series for sure. Um, Carolina is one of the best five-on-five five teams in the NHL. Uh, they pose a serious threat, and they can run up the shot clock whenever whenever they feel like it. And then you've got a team like Washington, which is exceptional on the power play, as they always are. But I believe they are, their five-on-five five play has taken a little bit of a nosedive when, without Barry Trotz in there, and I think that's something that uh, they're going to have to try and uh, overcome a bit. 
Because, yes, they've had an exceptional season. Uh, they just barely won the division by the skin of their teeth. But a team like Carolina can pose a serious threat. The, th- the key is, though, is the Hurricanes goaltending. That's going to be an X factor for me. Uh, because Mrazek and uh, McElhinney have been excellent this season for Carolina. And that's a huge reason why they're even in the playoffs to begin with. But if they can't, make, they can't stop a puck, uh, they're not going to be in the playoffs long. Something interesting, though, if you look at the four goalies between the two teams in the series, um, Mrazek and McElhaney have a better save percentage this season than both Holtby and Phoenix Copley. So, yeah. um, and I think it's, I think it's something cool. Holtby has not been great over the last two regular seasons at all. Um, playoffs are a different beast, obviously, but, um, you know, last season he had a 9.07 save percentage, this season a 9.11 save percentage. So he hasn't been great. Um, and looking at Carolina's goal tank, Mrazek struggled quite a bit throughout the beginning of the season um, and has turned it on to a crazy extent um, since then. So Mrazek, something to keep in mind, Mrazek played, has playoff experience with Detroit. He played those series against Tampa Bay. Um, he, he's played in the playoffs before. Um, and... I think that could be an X factor. I think goaltending could be an X factor here. Yeah. I still see Washington coming on top just based on how much talent they have on their roster. Um, yeah. But I think I could see Mrazek stealing some games here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. And I'm really excited to see what Sebastian Aho can do in the playoffs because he's had an excellent season. I think he's definitely been one of the, the best steals in recent draft history. And... Uh, He's been he's a very exciting player to watch. I think the team in general is exceptionally talented. Their defense is 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 one of the best, if not the best in the NHL right now. And I think that definitely is a huge huge benefit, especially when you're going up against a team like Washington, which is so offensively gifted as they are. And uh I, th- I do see this series going the distance. I think this is going to be a very fun series to watch, uh, especially for uh hockey Twitter who who seems to be rooting for the Hurricanes to do well? So I think this is a, this is a coin flip series. I think it really does come down to goaltending and uh, how teams on the sp- on the special teams really play out. Interesting. Um, so my pick is still Washington. What do you do? You have Washington. Yeah, I, I, I I'm picking Washington. I think the experience is going to be a huge huge factor in this series. Uh, this is no discredit to the Hurricanes. This has been an exceptional season. Even if they get on the first round, I think they have nothing to be ashamed about. This is the they've they've done exceptional this year. Cool. So moving on to uh, Pittsburgh and the Islanders, um, I don't feel confident betting against Pittsburgh in any playoff situation. To be honest, no. Um, I think the fact that Matt Murray has been so good um, as of late also helps that Casey Smith has been good as well. Um, that being said, the Islanders' goaltending situation is what has you know propelled them to such you know, to the success that they had in the regular season between Leonard and Grace. So I I, I think this is going to be a really fun series, too. I'm actually, the whole Eastern Conference, I think, is going to be very fun series. Um, yeah. Uh, but just in general, I, I don't, yeah, I don't feel confident betting on, betting against the Penguins. Yes. Yeah. I think this series is the perfect definition of an unstoppable force facing off against an immovable object. Uh, the unstoppable force being, of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins' uh, offense, which could turn on a dime at any given moment. Uh, when you have a guy like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin on your team, you never count against them. And yes, 
the Bruin, the the Penguins did lose to the Barry Trotz coached uh, Capitals last year, so I definitely think that there's some some mindset that hey, this could still be a Barry Trotz uh, defensive uh, series. That if they can shut them down, that definitely plays a huge factor. But PDO also plays a factor into it too, and the the, goal, the Islanders' goaltending is is basically what's carried them to the playoffs this year. I think their forward and defense don't scream a huge threat. No disrespect to them. It's really been their goaltending that's brought them this far. And if their goaltending struggles, that's going to really affect their chances to uh, really get back into games because the Penguins are can easily run up the score sheet if they want to. So I do think that this could be a tight series. Six or seven games is probably how far it's going to go. Um, I think Pittsburgh does have an edge because they're just so much more talented. But I also I also don't want to discredit the count out the uh, Capitals as well. uh, Islanders. Sorry, from from covering the Islanders though with Hockey Buzz, I, I've gotten a chance to you know take more of a look into their team and their defense score is actually quite good. Um, and uh, I I wouldn't count out the Islanders so quick. And I think yeah, um, I think if the Islanders are playing someone other than Pittsburgh, um, I'd hesitate to bet against the Islanders actually. Um, I just, I serious, I, every single year going to the playoffs, when you ask me right away, who do you think has a good shot at the Stanley Cup, I it just, it's always been Pittsburgh, um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see the goaltending matchups between Murray and what's likely to be Robin Leonard, um, I still, I do still have Pittsburgh coming out on top there, but I could see us being a long series. Yeah, I definitely think this could go either way too, um. I think Pittsburgh def- definitely has the edge because of the fact that uh, their offense is really was really what helps them uh, get success. Um, but uh, if the Islanders goalies can shut them out, uh, this could be a much longer series. I, th- I think this is another series that could potentially go the distance. So do you have Pittsburgh coming out? Um, I'm going to lean towards Pittsburgh. I can never bet against them. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders win that series as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think... If I had to put money on it, I'd probably be taking Pittsburgh, but I think this is going to be a really close series. Yep, I'm um, looking forward to that one too. Moving on to the West, because we're running out of time. Um, Calgary and Colorado. Um, I think I think if there's one upset that we could see, I think Colorado could take out Calgary. Yep. And I base this on Calgary's goaltending. Um if you're running David Riddich, um, he's a 9-11 save percentage, has no NHL playoff experience. If you're running Mike Smith, he has an 8-98 playoff save percentage. Uh, playoff save percentage. He has an 8-98 regular season save percentage this year. If I'm Calgary, I'm not at all confident in the goaltending duo. Um, and, you know, Colorado struggled early and now has rebounded. Grubauer has a 9-17, Varlamov a 9-09. So, I don't know. I think if Colorado's big three can turn it back on between Landis Cog, Ranton, and McKinnon, um, I could really see this being a closer series than it should be. And I could. I don't know that I'm betting on Colorado, but I, I seriously think this could go either way. Yeah. I think one thing that. Flames fans could take solace in is looking at the last time uh, Mike Smith was in the playoffs, which is actually quite a long time ago, 2012, actually. In fact, I'm looking at his stats here on NHL.com, 
in 16 games played, he was 9-7, and seven, but he had a goals against average of 1.99 and a save percentage of 944, nine wow. along with three shutouts. So this was 2012 Mike Smith. I don't know if this is the same Mike Smith we're going to see in the in uh, this playoffs he- year, but I think if Mike Smith can turn on, that definitely gives the Flames the edge right back because this is, has been an exceptional season for them, uh, one that I think a lot of people weren't really expecting them to have. And uh, to the, their to their credit, their team has been exceptionally gifted. Their their defense has really rebounded nicely. I think they've really bought into Bill Peters' uh, system. Uh, the Goudreau line has been fun to watch, uh, especially with Monaghan on there. Lindholm has been a revelation for them this year. Giordano is definitely going to put himself in the Norris Trophy conversation. Yes, I do think that if the goaltending struggles for the Flames, the Colorado does can make this series very interesting. But if Mike Smith can turn it on, uh, Colorado is going to not going to be in the playoffs for long. But... I definitely see your point. Uh, goaltending is definitely something that I'm concerned about for the Calgary Flames. So who do you see winning that series if you had to pick? Hmm. Well, if it's a goal t- if it's goaltending, that's going to be a problem. I think it's going to go the distance, um, and that could be a coin flip in that regard. But if Calgary's goaltending can show up in the playoffs, this is a six. This is a five game series. Yeah, I. Yeah. I think that's that's a major thing here. Um, I would still pick Calgary, I think, but this is the series that I think could really go either way. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say Calgary as well. Yeah. Um, if you want to move on, Vegas versus San Jose. Um, I think this will be – I say this about every series, but I think this will be a really fun one as well because um, <laughs> this is one that could go either way. Um, San Jose versus Vegas. uh I think I have San Jose um, because we're looking through Vegas's lineup, they they don't have any anybody who's overperformed to the extent that it really catches your eye. Um, I think San Jose's team is just too deep now after the Carlson deal, after getting a Vander Kane. Um, but the massive, massive, massive thing here, not to just go off the Calgary series again, but goaltending has been horrible for San Jose. Uh, Martin Jones has an 896 save percentage across 62 games. Is he the worst at starting goalie in the NHL? I'd say yes. Um, this season, yes. For sure. Um, I Martin Jones would really scare me if I'm a San Jose fan. I think if you swap off goaltending... The series isn't even close. But I really think, I don't know. I We've seen Martin Jones perform in the playoffs. That's why I'm hesitant to bet against him um, in that run uh, that had San Jose get to the finals against Pittsburgh in 2016. But I don't know. I think San Jose skaters are head and shoulders above Vegas's, but... I think if Martin Jones doesn't perform, Vegas will capitalize. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think this is—I agree with you. This is going to be a fun series to watch, uh, and uh, I think I think the theme that you're seeing here is goaltending is critical to a team's success in the playoffs, and uh, the same thing could happen here. Uh, you definitely need your goaltending to come through big time in the playoffs. Uh, I think Martin Jones is a prime example that if the if the goaltending doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't have doesn't come through 
they're going to have a hard time. Uh, let's look back to last year. Yes, the teams are slightly different now compared to then, but uh, I think this is a very good comparable. Second round of the playoffs, game one, Vegas wins 7 nothing. Game two, San Jose wins 4-3 in overtime. Game three, Vegas wins 4-3 in overtime. Game four, San Jose shuts out the Golden Knights 4-zip. Game five, Vegas wins 5-3. And game six, Vegas shuts out the Sharks 3-0. Uh, there's a prime example right there of how this series could play out. Um, the Golden Knights offense, I think, is very exciting to watch, especially because of the presence of uh, Mark Stone. Pacioretty is definitely somebody that uh, can really help this team offensively. Uh, I think William Carlson, yes, he's taking a step back this year, as we as many expected, because that's his shooting percentage last season was just ridiculous. But uh, I think overall the team is pretty pretty talented on on Vegas, uh, so they could definitely pose a threat to San Jose, who I think is my favorite coming out of the West, just be, just because of how exceptionally talented they are, and they have really turned it on the latter half of the season. But yeah, if their goaltending, if Martin Jones can't stop anything how are they going to go to their backup yeah um another thing uh, since san jose is home ice vegas has a losing record on the road this season actually hmm. they're 19 20 and 2 um have been great at home but i don't think there are any other nhl playoff teams who have a losing record on the road no there are there are none so that's another factor uh with san jose getting the extra game in san jose my bet is on the Sharks to win. Do you have the same? Yeah, I definitely do have more confidence in the San Jose Sharks. It has been a difficult season for the Golden Knights, as obviously, because uh, they had such high expectations on them. And uh, this season, they definitely came f fell back to earth. But the fact they're even in the playoffs is no laughing matter. Uh, but I think if you look at the uh, Pacific Division, it's been it's very top heavy uh, with San with Calgary and San Jose having exceptionally good seasons. Um, but the, the the fact of the matter is, Vegas Golden Knights just kind of lucked out by getting the third spot in the, the Atlantic Division because the next closest team to them was Arizona with 86 points. Uh, the Golden Knights should be lucky to be in the playoffs this season because the first half of the season, I remember, uh, was difficult, and there were questions if they were even going to make the playoffs at all. So, yes, they should, they should have full credit for making this far in the playoffs. And, yes, last season, the Vegas Golden Knights showed that they, they can beat the San Jose Sharks. But the Sharks this year are going all in for a reason. We mentioned all the players that they have. Brett Burns is definitely still one of the best defensemen in the NHL, especially alongside Eric Carlson and uh, Vander Kane, uh, Joe Thornton, Logan Couture, Thomas Hurdle, and Gustav Nyquist. That's a pretty good uh, forward core right there. And I believe Timo Meyer is also exceptionally good too. So... I'm with you on this one. This one's going to six games, and I think San Jose is going to come out on top. Cool. Um, Nashville and Dallas. Um, I don't. I don't think I have a lot of explaining to do here, but I have Nashville coming out. I think Ben Bishop um, and Anton Kadobin um, as a goaltending duo should be a little scary for Nashville, um, based on the 934-923 save percentage. But I see Nashville's team as too deep. I see Nashville as a team built for the playoffs. Um, their trade deadline acquisitions for Granlin and Simmons actually haven't panned out so well. Granlin has five points in 16 games, Simmons three and 17. But overall, um, I see even before the trade deadline as Nashville, Nashville is being a very good team. Nashville is still my pick coming out of the West. Um, 
so I have Nashville. Um, I could. I don't know how close of a series it'll be. Um, I think Dallas has the problem as well. Of, you know, they have their four or five star players, and then after that, uh, the talent really drops off. Um, so goaltending could be a factor, but I, you know, even with Pekka Rene and UC Saros, um, it, it almost evens it out. So I think, you know, I, I have Nashville coming out of the series. Um, what about you? Um, I just want to start by saying that uh, I think full credit to the Dallas Stars. The, the main reason they're even here is that Ben Bishop has been absolutely ex- exceptional this season for them. He led the NHL this year in uh, save percentage at point nine three four by a white lake but the next closest was Robin Leonard at point nine three zero and I believe he was uh, in the tops for uh, shutouts with seven that was just two behind uh, the leader with by Bobrovsky um, I think yes this series is the one I'm really looking forward to when it comes to goaltending battles because Rene is one of the best goalies in the NHL and Bishop has always been one of the top goalies in the NHL. Um, I think it's really going to come down to who makes saves. Um, if, if you recall last year against uh, Golden Knights for, versus Kings, that series was so low scoring. Yeah. That was really the goaltending series. I think you're going to probably see a series like that but in between Nashville and Dallas. It's going to be a very short series, four or five games, um, because Dallas's lack of offensive depth is really what's going to bite them, because we mentioned I mentioned this so many times during the podcast. I remember early in the season, no one uh, other than uh, Sagan, Radulov, and Ben had over ten goals. That was just ridiculous. And uh, when Zuccarello came, he was the fourth, and then he got injured for for a good amount of time. Um, I don't know how much confident he is uh, with the new system, but yes. I definitely think that this is going to be a low-scoring series. This is going to be the goaltending battle of the of the playoffs that we're going to be really excited to see. But yes, I'm with you. It's going to be Nashville. Um, five games. Cool. Now, last series, um, we got Winnipeg and St. Louis. Who do you have? This is going to be a fun one. I'm I'm really stumped on this one. This is probably the one I'm stumped because this could go either way. Uh, Winnipeg has definitely had a rougher season compared to last year, um, especially with the likes of Patrick Laine who. Struggled mightily offensively this year, but he could turn it up at any time. Uh, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler are an exceptional dynamic duo, and I think that they're going to be leading the charge for the Jets. Their defense core is pretty good. Uh, Hellebuck has had a had a little bit of a down season compared to last year, but definitely still worthy enough to be the Jets starter. And then you look at the other side of the fence, uh, St. Louis Blues. They have been playoff tested for so long. They they. They've experienced heartbreak after heartbreak. And the main reason for that is because they had Jake Allen as a starter for pretty much all those playoff runs the last four or five years. And we obviously know that Jake Allen is one of the most uh, inconsistent starter goalies in the NHL. And uh, now that they have Jordan Birmingham, who... Jordan Bennington? Bennington. I am so sorry. Uh, Bennington has been a revelation. He leads the NHL in goals against 1.89. Uh, he, I believe he's up there in save percentage and uh, wins. I, I don't know if that's off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I think St. Louis has more playoff experience. Um, they have, I think, the better depth, and especially because of the struggles of Patrick Laine. Uh, I think the second half of the season has been exceptional for the Blues, and I think they're going to try and ride that out as long as they can. So I think they have 
the slight slightest of edges against the Winnipeg Jets, even though they're tied in points and they're pretty even teams. Interesting. Yeah, I actually I have Jordan Bennington st- stealing the series here. Um, one thing I look back to, I remember watching um, Owen Sound uh, play uh, through the OHL playoffs um, and into the Memorial Cup in 2011, and Jordan Bennington ended up starting a lot of those games in the playoffs. Um, uh, and he was actually a second-year goaltender, and they had two different, they had three goalies on that team, uh, Scott Stager and Michael Zador. Uh, Stager was a draft pick of the Rangers. Um, he was a fourth year, and then uh, Zador had tons of uh, OHL experience as well. He was a starter. He was a fourth year, um, and they went with Jordan Bennington um, throughout a lot of that. And Jordan Bennington was the one in net when they won the OHL championship that year. Um, so I see, you know, Bennington as a good goalie in the playoffs. Um, I think. I see him stealing the series for St. Louis. I think it's going to be very close, but um, Hellebuck hasn't been excellent this year. Um, I'd say overall Winnipeg might have a slight advantage skater-wise, but uh, I think Bennington is going to be an X-factor here, um, and he'll win the goaltending battle. Yeah, I think uh, to, to add to your point, uh, this Winnipeg has been a, the much was a much better team at uh, scoring goals. But St. Louis is, is even better at keeping the puck out of the net. And one thing of of note, the Winnip- the St. Louis Blues have a far superior record on the road in comparison to the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of the games that the Blues lost on the road were in overtime or the shootout, which, as you know, is a crapshoot. Uh, 21-13-7 compared to the Winnipeg Jets, who are t- were 22-18-1. Um... I think uh, St. Louis can definitely hold their own on the road, and that could definitely play a factor here too. And because of the Winnipeg's, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's not. An, what I'm trying to say is here, I think the road record definitely will play a factor as well. I don't know how big of a factor, but it'll be enough that you'll, it'll be noticeable. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I think St. Louis has the edge in this series, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. Cool. For bonus topic time. Just before we wrap things up, let's take a look at the standings. Um, I have time for one rapid fire because I have to go in like two minutes. Um, <laughs> we'll make this one nice and quick. Uh, just looking at the uh, standings, we're going to look at uh, teams that just missed out on the playoffs. Uh, obviously, Montreal was the top team in the East, and in the West was the Phoenix Coyotes. Let's pick one team from the East and the West who you think should have made the playoffs this year. Uh, is this going into the year or like one team that I had predicted going into the year or one team throughout the season who should have made it based on their play? Throughout the season. Uh, Montreal in the East. Um, I thought I was surprised that Carolina made it in the end um, over Montreal. Obviously not in the last couple day- games, but I'd say at the 10-game left mark, I really thought Montreal was going to get in. Um, in the West, I, th- I actually wasn't surprised at all. I think the West... W- at the probably five or ten game mark, I, I was pretty confident that uh, Colorado would get in. Um, if I had to pick, obviously maybe Arizona, but I, I was pretty confident the West. I, I agree with you on that. I think Montreal definitely played with house money this season, and they've had a much better season than a lot of fans were expecting. Um, I obviously think that experience is what it was ultimately their downfall, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do next season. I think the Atlantic Division is going to get much more tighter, especially if Buffalo bounces back and even Florida, who had a better second half to the season. Um, in the West, 
I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with Arizona because uh, they really made it interesting, and I think they finally announced in NHL that they've arrived. And uh, next season, I think you're going to see a change in the division standings for the Pacific because Arizona, if they can stay healthy, they're going to be a threat. And it's a shame that they just missed out this season because uh, their fans desperately need a good team. Yeah. Um, that's it for us on this one. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. You can follow me at Ben Shelley underscore 20 on Twitter and find my work at hockeybuzz.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the Leafs IMO. You can check out my work at Mayfleece Hot Stove and Editor in Leaf. I'm sure to get something out soon. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely follow us uh, on there if you want to check out our work and want to ask us questions about the show. Uh, we're more than happy to answer them. Awesome. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. See you guys. You've been listening to the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow the hosts on Twitter at Ben Shelley underscore 20 and at the Leafs IMO. 